Thank you, Chris, for leading us in that and having us reflect upon all that we're learning from our study of the Gospel of Luke. What a what a wonderful thing to hear how God has challenged you and how your hearts have been just uh, moved in ways that maybe you didn't expect from from our study of that text. It'll be wonderful to see what the Lord does with us in the future as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. Tonight we are returning to our study of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. It's been quite some time really since we've been here in our study. This little letter written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in Galatia, northern, uh, the northern part or area where Turkey is today. And of course, those believers were facing difficulty, trouble. Not much different really than what we find right now within our own world and evangelicalism. That's just what determines what we've been talking about really in the morning, and yet the idea is even here in Galatians, what is it that determines the salvation of a person? What is it that determines the salvation of a person? Uh, it is, the, is it effort? Is it morality? Is it striving to do whatever man does in order to account himself as someone accountable and righteous before God by his own ways so that his soul is thereby secured by what he does or is salvation the reality that is strictly determined by God on the basis of a declaration that God makes and thereby it has nothing to do with man's efforts. Right, of course, throughout the study of our book, we have gotten an answer to that very question or to those questions that I just posed. We have clearly seen through the words of the Apostle Paul that the believers in Galatia have gotten really an earful as to the reality that salvation is a declaration by God. Salvation of the soul is what God does, and He does it by way of just declaration. In other words, justification, or man is justified in the sight of God, not by keeping works or doing a set of rules. He is justified by faith, whereby God declares them, or him, or the person. He declares them to be justified before Him in His sight, based upon the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this is the essence of the gospel. Justification is by faith alone. And therefore, if anyone comes with another gospel, Paul says even in chapter 1, if you come with some other gospel other than the one that I preached, then you are to be anathema. You are accursed. Even if you are an angel from heaven and you come with something different than the gospel, that justification is by faith alone, you are anathema. You are accursed. So freedom from sin is found only through Jesus Christ. That is very clear in Paul's letter. And therefore, Paul says to the believers in Galatia, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. 
It was for freedom that Christ set you free. That's the very foundational statement for us to remember. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. We cannot say, and we certainly ought not believe as Christians and thereby teach that once a person is justified before God, then they can go on living any way that they want to live. We cannot say that. We cannot believe that. We ought not believe that. We certainly should not be teaching that. It was for freedom that Christ set you free, Paul said. And that means that while we have been set free from any kind of attempting to gain a righteousness based upon our own efforts and merits, while we have been free from the attempts of justifying ourselves before God, we have not been freed from obedience to the commands of God. This is confused in evangelicalism, it seems, over the last several decades. This idea that you can be a child of Jesus Christ and yet not have to or be required to obey the commands of Christ. This whole idea that grace somehow set us free to the commands of Christ, and because we are in grace, we don't have to follow what God says. Well, that's totally opposite of what the Apostle Paul says. It was for freedom that we were set free, he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourself again to a yoke of slavery. Of course, he's talking about the slavery of trying to attain righteousness on your own. Don't subject yourself to some kind of justifying works because it never works. So we are free from the commandments of God by way of justification, but we are not free of the commands of God for our sanctification. We have been freed up to keep His commandments, whereby before, in our own sinful lost state, we could not keep His commandments. We were utter failures at doing what God asked. We didn't want to do what God asked. It was impossible for us to do what God asked. It was morally and and uh, uh, exercisably impossible to do what God asked for His glory because we were spiritually dead. But in Christ, we have been made alive. We have been set free from the slavery of our own flesh. We've been set free from our sinful lostness, and we are now free to obey the Spirit. This is what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 5. We can follow the Spirit. So we are free in Christ, right? Freedom that Christ set us free. So while we are free from attempting our own justification, we are not free from walking in sanctification. And this is what we were dealing with last time we were here in our study of Galatians chapter 6. So we find ourselves back in chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, This was an entire section that we took as a whole, and we were walking our way through it, and we we need to focus our time in verses 7 through 10 tonight, although I want to read for us these 10 verses so that we have the whole idea in our minds. 
So beginning in chapter 6 and verse 1, Apostle Paul says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. And let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we do thank you for your word, for the clarity of it, for the way it speaks to us. Lord, thank you for the Spirit that illumines our hearts and our minds so that we can understand these things as you intended them to be understood, so that we are not confused, so that we can put into practice all that we have been commanded by you. And so tonight, Lord, take these words, massage them into our hearts that we might be more like Christ, that we might follow you better, that we might walk by the Spirit. You receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise as we worship you in following you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So remember, as Christians then, we are not under an obligation to the mandates of the Word of God for justification. We are not obligated to do what the Word of God says in order to try to attain some kind of righteousness. All of that has been accomplished for us by Jesus Christ. But we are obligated to the mandates of the Word of God for sanctification, for holiness. Obedience brings about practical holiness. This is a truth of the Christian Christian life. Obedience brings about practical holiness. We don't want to confuse that with positional holiness. We we are positionally holy before God in the glories of heaven, in the heart of God because of Jesus Christ. So God sees us through His Son. We are holy before God, and yet God has equipped us here and now to live out obedience, which brings about practical holiness. In other words, the outworking of holiness in our lives. That is what sanctification is. Sanctification is practical holiness. And in our lives, obedience to the mandates of God's Word is the outworking of practical holiness. This is why we even said this morning that a Christian is one who has the fruit of their life. Obedience is that fruit. Obedience is the fruit of their life. And here in the book of Galatians, there is a synonymous way of speaking about sanctification. 
Paul doesn't really mention the word sanctification here in Galatians, but, but he speaks about it in a synonymous kind of way. And it's with these words, walk by the Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 16, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit. Right? Verse 25 of chapter 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, if we're made alive in Christ, if we're justified before God because of what God has accomplished, the Spirit has made us alive, then if we have that Spirit because He's made us alive, then we can also walk by the Spirit. We can be practically holy. We can walk in obedience. That's one of the ways the Apostle Paul says, be sanctified or be obedient or live holy lives. Walk by the Spirit. So when when we talk about that in reference to the Christian life, that's what we mean. We mean just simply this, obedience to the things of God. And we must, as Christians, follow the Spirit. We must walk in the footsteps of the Spirit, and those footsteps are found in the Word of God. The Word of God is what the Spirit uses to carry us along in the obedience to the things of God. Right? If we walk by the Spirit, he says in chapter 5, verse 16, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's a strong command for us who have believed upon Jesus Christ. It's not a suggestion. It's not something we go, yeah, if you feel like it, do it. No, walk by the Spirit. It is command that you and I obey what God's Word says. And there is that axiomatic truth that is accompanied by walking by the Spirit. Obedience has a has an outcome. It is an ironclad guarantee, if you will, found in Scripture. That if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. If you follow what God says in your life, you will not follow what the world desires for you to do. If you follow what God says in Scripture, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the deadly desires of the flesh. We know what those desires are. Paul lists some of them here in chapter 5. The deeds of the flesh are evident, verse 19. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities and strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and disputes and dissensions and factions and envying and drunkenness and carousing and things like that. So you can be rest assured if you're carrying out any of those things in a momentary thing or as a habitual reality of your life, you're not walking by the Spirit. Why? Those are deeds of the flesh. And if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. So if you're carrying out the deeds of the flesh, you can be rest assured in the opposite direction, you're not walking by the Spirit, regardless of what you think. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. That is a great promise for us, beloved. That is a great promise. Some of us say, I just can't do it. If you have the Spirit, if you are alive, if you are alive by the Spirit, then you can walk by the Spirit. Submit yourself to the Word of God. The Word of God says, go this direction, go that direction. When the Word of God says, have that attitude when those things happen, have that attitude. You can do it. You can do it. It is a great promise for us. And I truly believe that 
Every real believer desires that. Every real believer desires that kind of obedience in their Christian life. So they want victory in their practical holiness. They want to do what God has said. They, they, they don't want to live sinfully, and yet, in spite of that axiomatic truth, in spite of our desire sometimes, we just fail to follow the Spirit. We fail to follow not only in our own lives, but we fail to follow the Spirit in our care for one another. We fail to follow the Spirit in order to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are themselves maybe living fleshly lives. We are, as we learned in chapter 6, we are our brother's watchmen. We are to be watching out for one another. That's what Galatians 6.1 says. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that is, you who are walking by the Spirit, you are mature in Christ in that time, you're walking by the Spirit, you go and you be the spiritual doctor. You restore them in a spirit of gentleness, humility, because you're looking to yourself, and you know that you too could easily be tempted in that direction. So through the Spirit, we have been fully equipped by our Savior to follow what He commands We have been equipped to do what he says in his word, and therefore none of us who are truly saved can rightly use the excuse, I cannot walk in obedience. We cannot rightly use that as an excuse. To say that we are Christians who just cannot obey is to say that God has failed in what he has given to us. To say that I just cannot do it is to say that God did not equip me to obey, and in fact what He did give me as the equipment for obedience, which is His own Spirit, isn't enough to obey. So the Spirit in me somehow is unable to lead me in truth, when in fact the Word of God tells me that's exactly what the Spirit does. So It is not the case that the Spirit can't do that. The Spirit of God leads us in truth. And we are all, as Christians, empowered to walk in obedience. Therefore, in those times, in those moments, in those days when we are not walking by the Spirit, but by the flesh, when we are carrying out the deeds of the flesh in our own life, we ought to expect other brothers and sisters in Christ who are following the Spirit, who are carrying out their biblical uh, mandates to follow the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, we ought to expect them to fulfill their biblical responsibility to come to us and confront us about our own sin. We ought to expect that. We shouldn't get irritated about that. We ought to expect that. That was principle number one that we looked at some time ago. Getting back in verse 1, Christian living at its best is seen in obedience to the Spirit, and when we're following the Spirit, we go and we restore sinful brothers and sisters in Christ. We go to them. In other words, because of Christ and because of our love for the glory of Christ, we go to each other and we help each other with obedience to the truth. So how is that? How how we are to help one another walk by the Spirit? How do we help one another 
be obedient to the things of the Spirit. Well, we begin to do that through each one of us taking that spiritual responsibility. Saying, listen, I have to get involved. Not only do we walk by the Spirit ourselves in obedience to that so that we grow, so that we're following what God and the fruit of the Spirit, as verse 22 says, is reflecting in our lives. Not only that, but also we walk by the Spirit by following out or carrying out our responsibility through loving confrontation. As Hebrews 10, 25 and 26 says, to stimulate one another to greater love and good deeds. We are to stimulate obedience in one another. And so when sin happens, we get involved. Why? Because we are commanded to get involved. And because love demands us to get involved. And so we need to exercise our spiritual condition by getting involved. So justification is, do, is God's doing. That's God's business. That's what God accomplishes. But justification is not static. It doesn't just sit there and do nothing. That means that justification not only declares one righteous before God, but being justified frees us to actually obey God. We are justified in the eyes of God and we are freed up to walk in obedience to God, to walk by the Spirit, to practice holiness, to be used by the Spirit of God in the lives of one another as we walk by the Spirit. But what is it that hinders that? What is it that hinders that reality for us as Christians? What is it that that upends the outworking of sanctification in our life and the lives of others. Why are we so reluctant at times to lovingly deal with the sin in each other's lives? Why is that? Well, God gives us the answer here in Galatians chapter 6 through the words of the Apostle Paul in verses 7 through 10. And it has to do with the truth concerning sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall reap from the Spirit eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I was thinking about this text this last week, and each spring that rolls around, my wife gets the itch to plant seeds I'm not much of a gardener. I really, frankly, don't enjoy digging around in the dirt all that much. But my wife likes to do that. She likes to plant seeds. And so she plants them because she likes to have fresh vegetables. And I like the fresh vegetables, but I don't like doing the work to get those fresh vegetables. She does. And so she plants the seeds in various pots and scatters them around our yard. And we hope and wait diligently for growth. She diligently waters them, and we wait for the produce to start rolling in. And an interesting thing has never happened in all of the years that she has been planting. 
It hasn't ever happened, in fact, in the history of the world. The seed that she plants always produces the picture of the food that's on the cover. It's always producing the same kind of plant that it came from. In other words, what is sown into the ground is what is reaped. Why? Why is that so? Because that's how God has designed His creation. God has designed it that way. It is something that will never change. Just listen to Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, and listen, here it is, shall not cease. So much for us not wanting to have winter. It's going to come. It's going to come. Cold comes, heat comes, summer comes, winter comes, day comes, night comes, seed time comes, harvest time comes, and it will not cease. That is how God has created it. So here again is another axiomatic truth from God. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. That is true agriculturally, and it is true spiritually. You cannot get away from it. Just as you cannot get away from the reality that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So much so that opposite is also true, that if you carry out the desires of the flesh, it is such that you are not following the Spirit. You're not walking by the Spirit. So too, when you plant the seed, that is what it will produce. It will not. You plant a corn stalk seed, it will not produce a watermelon. That's not how God's creation works. That's not how He set it in motion. And spiritually, the principle is the same. We talked a little bit about Job this morning. And Job knew this principle even in his day. Job said this, those who plow iniquity will sow trouble. They will reap the same. You plow iniquity, you will reap trouble. You sow trouble, you will reap iniquity. And yet, yet, why is it then far too many of us, and of course I'm preaching to the choir tonight because we also come to this, I'm, I'm right there with you in that group, Why is it so much then far too many times we live according to our own self-deception? And so what do you mean? I don't seem like I'm self-deceived. Really, look at what Paul says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. If you sow to your flesh, you're going to reap the fleshly corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, You'll from the Spirit reap eternal life. The principle is sowing and reaping, and the contrast is between flesh and spirit. The flesh is the sinful nature. The flesh is that which God has redeemed us from. The Spirit here is speaking of our new self. This is who we are, the new man, our our new person, that which is given to us by God. We are made alive in Christ by the Spirit. So these two are constantly at war with each other. 
Constantly battling. Constantly the flesh wants to rule and constantly the Spirit is there to rule the day if we will follow the Spirit. The works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit are opposed to each other. And Paul is saying to the Galatian believers that the kind of seed that is planted is going to reap that kind of fruit. Not only agriculturally, but more importantly, spiritually. Either fruit of the flesh will be produced or fruit of the Spirit. And so in the spiritual life, there are only two kinds of seeds to be sown. There isn't a variety of seeds that are sown. There are only two kinds of seeds to be sown. There are only the seed of the Spirit or the seed of the flesh. And therefore, only two kinds of produce. It will either be unsanctified, that is unholy, ungodly, worldly, anti-Christian, or it will be sanctified, it will be holy, like the Spirit. So it will either be fleshly fruit or it will be spiritual fruit. And so it is clear what the Apostle Paul is saying here to the Galatians. Listen, actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. And therefore, if we are planting seeds to the old self, if we are heading that direction, and if we are thinking in some kind of way that we can do these things and buy these things find some kind of holiness in them if they are fleshly things. We are lying to ourselves. We will only reap corruption, Paul said. The word corruption is an interesting word. It means that which is perishable, doesn't last. Stuff that rots really easy, falls apart, destruction. So in a Christian sense, really, in the ultimate sense, it's eternal misery in hell. That's the idea. That's why he says eternal life, right? If you reap to this, if you sow the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. There's juxtaposition of eternal corruption and eternal life going on here. So that is to say that you can't get around it. right? The principle is fact. If you follow the flesh, you can expect moral decay. Why? Because that's what the flesh produces. That's the seed. That's all it can produce. It cannot produce righteousness. This is why it's impossible for men to try to gain righteousness on their own. They cannot gain righteousness on their own. That would be like saying, if I plant a pumpkin seed, I'm going to get watermelon. It's impossible. It never happens. It will never happen. The only thing you get from the flesh is flesh. So if you sow to the flesh, that's all you will produce, moral decay. That's what the flesh produces. The same truth is factual about the Spirit. When we sow seeds of obedience to the Spirit, what do we reap? We reap the fruit of the Spirit. We reap the holiness that the Spirit brings. We reap the fruit, ultimately, of eternal life. The reality of salvation is reflected in our lives by the fruit of the Spirit. You know what that is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So unbelievers can only sow to the flesh. Unbelievers can only do the things of the flesh. Why? Because they are not free in Christ. They don't have new seed. 
But the Christian is. We are new in Christ, so we can do what Christ says. We can choose to not follow the flesh. We can choose to put the flesh to death. Right? That's what Paul's saying. Listen, you, you, in Christ, you have obedience to Christ. But if you're not being obedient to Christ, if you think you can go this other direction and somehow in that other direction you're going to produce some sense of righteousness in yourself, you are, as he calls it here, you are self-deceived. You're self-deceived. That's what's happening with the Galatian believers. They're coddling the flesh. They're sowing seeds of the flesh. They've been duped by the Judaizers who've come in and said, you need to be circumcised. You can believe in Jesus all you want, but you need Jesus plus these other activities according to the flesh in order to be justified. Paul says you can't do that. If you're going to coddle the flesh like that, then you're only going to reap corruption. You can't go back and try to assume in some kind of way that Jesus saved you and yet you have to do something in order to be justified by your efforts. When you do that, you will reap what you sow. He's not saying true believers to, to true believers that you can lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. What he is, he's speaking to those who desire to be justified by the flesh and he's saying, you're only going to reap fleshly works. That's all you're going to reap. Why? Because the flesh can't produce justification. It's impossible. It has no ability to do that. The Spirit produces justification. The Spirit produces the things of the Spirit. And so the principle here is simple. We reap what we sow. This is true in every area of life. I, I, it, it, we know that. This isn't new for us to hear that. And yet it seems like we do this often. In fact, one pastor put it this way. I was reading. He said, quote, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, every time we allow our mind to nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying. Every time we read some kind of illicit uh, uh, sexual material. Every time we take a risk with strains of, which strains our self-control. What are we doing? We are sowing, we are sowing, we are sowing to the flesh. He went on to say, some Christians sow to the flesh every day. And they wonder why they don't reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Holiness is a harvest, he said. Whether we reap it or not depends upon what we sow. Unquote. You want holiness in your life? You want the outworking of the Spirit in your life? You want the, the life of uh, uh, the outworking of maturity to be taking place in your life? Then sow to the Spirit. And notice the warning. Notice the warning in verse 7. Do not be deceived. Notice, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Here lies the problem. Here lies the problem with why we do it. Self-deception. Self-deception. 
You say, in what way? In what way are we self-deceived? In believing, in believing the lie that we can do whatever we want without ever having a consequence. Believing the lie that I can sin without impunity. That it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do, I can always get spiritual later. I can always become more spiritual in due time. What's happening when I when I do that? What's happening when I believe that? Well, Paul says two things are happening. Two things are happening. One is that you're self-deceived. You're self-deceived. In other words, deception is taking place and you're the one bringing it on upon yourself. So it's something you're doing to yourself. It's not something else outside of you that's deceiving you. It's you deceiving yourself. But secondly, and probably more importantly, notice in doing that, you're mocking God. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You say, how so? How am I mocking God? You're mocking God because you're living in such a way as if sowing and reaping, as if that principle that God has put perpetually in place since the creation of the world doesn't really exist. At least not in the spiritual realm. And at least not for you. And so what we are saying is when we live like that is this. I can do what others do sinfully. I can do that as a Christian. I can do that. I can go do what others do sinfully. But the outcome for me will be different. The outcome for me it won't produce the same thing that it's producing for them. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, self-deception is equal to mocking God. Just put an equal sign there between the word deceived and God. Don't be deceived because being self-deceived in this area is equal to mocking God. They're no different. The outcome will be no different. Mocking God, beloved, is never a good option. So you could say that when I follow the flesh, when I choose to follow the flesh, when I sow the seed of the flesh, I am deceiving myself into thinking that if I do that, there will not be the outcome that flesh produces, even though God says the flesh only produces fleshly things. And I'm saying that it won't do that, and in doing that, I'm saying to God, what you say really isn't true doing the very thing that the father of lies did way back in the garden. And I'm saying to myself, I'm not deceived by something outside of me. I'm saying to myself, I'm acting in the place of Satan himself upon myself and saying, has God really said that that will happen to me? None of us here would, we, somebody said, that's the character of our life. None of us would want that. We'd say, no way, I don't want to deceive myself. That's the stupidest thing I would ever do. Why would I want to be self-deceived? I certainly don't want to mock God. And yet here we are at times, 
following the deeds of the flesh. The things that are clearly, evidentially, deeds of the flesh. The immorality, the impurity, the sensuality. Serving ourselves, Dabbling with things that are godless and, and of other godly ideas. Fighting with one another. Having jealousy and anger and disputes and dissension. Envying other people, carousing like the world does and doing all of those kinds of things. Thinking that the outcome's not going to be for me. It's not going to work that way. This mocks God. Spirit changes lives. And therefore a life that lives by the flesh but expects for God to let them just waltz into his eternal kingdom. They're in for a shocking end. Why? Because whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Self-deception only damns the sinner. Self-deception never fools God. God isn't fooled. And yet, sadly, people go on mocking God until the very moment that they stand before God. Man will continue to mock God, even those who profess to know God will continue to mock God until the day Christ returns and we will reap what we sow. Now remember, remember what the Apostle Paul said back in verse 1, because all of this is in the context of what he said back in chapter 6, verse 1, being our brother's keepers. Right? helping each other with the sin issues in our own lives. This is the context in which Paul writes this. And we say, well, well, I don't like confrontation. Or we say, I'm not equipped enough to go to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we convince ourselves that if we do nothing, that if we sow that seed to my own self, to my own comfort level, to where I'm at, if I sow that seed of my own flesh, if I do nothing then it'll just produce something better over time. But that person over time will just seem to get better. In other words, if I sow to my flesh, it will reap some spiritual goodness. That's what we convince ourselves of. Oh, if I just sit back and do nothing, I know this person needs help. I know I can go to them. I see the sin issue, but I'll do nothing. And, and me doing nothing will actually produce something it is spiritual. We know we can't do that. We know what the Scripture says because that is to mock God. It will not happen. And so, verse 9 says, let us not lose heart in doing good. Let us not lose heart, right? The one who sows to his own flesh is going to reap the flesh, going to reap the corruption. The one who sows the Spirit is going to reap the things of the Spirit. And so... Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we shall reap if we don't grow weary. Now what does that tell us? That tells us this, that sowing is hard work. Sowing is hard work. Especially when it comes to dealing with sin. It's going to take time. It doesn't happen quickly going to take multiple encounters. It's going to take a lot of digging in the earth. Lots of cultivation of the seed. 
But in due time, harvest comes. In due time, the harvest comes. And not only does it work like that in others' lives, that's how it works in our own life. Dealing with sin issues in our life, dealing with the areas of the flesh that seem to beseech us, and we, we, we can't seem to win the victory. We need to continue to walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Keep watering that seed. Do what God says. In due time, you will reap. Don't allow yourself to grow weary in doing what is by quality good. That's what Paul's saying. Do that which is good. Fight hard against sin. Strive against it. Strive for holiness. Kill the flesh. Continue in the things of the Spirit. Stay in the battle. Remain. In time, reaping will come. Reaping will come. If you sow it, it will grow. That's the principle. If you sow it, it will grow. So we need to think about the Christian life in this way. Christian living at its best is hard work, right? It's dusty hard work. Christian life is not easy. There are neighbors that we need to love that we don't really want to reach out to and love because they're not very nice people. There are sinners that we know, friends that we have that need to be restored because their sinful life has taken over them. There are burdens of one another that we need to bear. Let alone the reality of sin in our own life that we're trying to forsake. So there's always someone who needs help. And so it's very tempting for us just to give up, just to say it's too much. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Why? Because the reward is great. The reward is great. In due time, you'll reap. So Paul says in verse 10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. While we have opportunity. That means, that word really carries the idea of a limited amount of time. While we have opportunity, there's a limited amount of time. We can't procrastinate. You can't put it off. Can't say that I'll get to it tomorrow. Can't say that I'll deal with them tomorrow. No, the time is now. This is the opportunity. This is the moment. So he says, this is the opportunity, so let us do good to all people. All men. That is to say that we need to deal with life as it comes. We need to deal with life as it comes. Don't put it off. Sometimes that means confronting the unbelieving world. Sometimes that means challenging the world with the things that we know to be true and right, even though it's going to cost us greatly. But chiefly and especially that means we need to be in each other's lives, especially those who are of the household of faith, he said. In fact, the very thing that Paul is exhorting here is the very thing he's doing in the book of Galatians. This is exactly what he's doing. He is going to these ones who are caught in a trespass, who are confused about justification, confused and and in the verge of even going backwards and showing themselves to not actually have been ever saved. And Paul is challenging them and dealing with that issue in their life. So why Paul is saying this, he is actually doing it. You say, why is he doing it? Because the gospel depends upon it. Anybody brings another gospel, they're accursed. Justification is in Christ alone. 
Paul says the gospel depends upon it, and our lives reflect the gospel. Our lives reflect the gospel. And so we do good to all people, but we have a special responsibility to care for one another, those of the household of faith. Not a matter of selfishness. We can't be selfish. A matter of the gospel witness, testimony to others. This is about the gospel. When someone is sinning, when a brother or sister in Christ is sinning, the gospel is at stake. Not the fact that God saving people is at stake. God ultimately saves people in spite of even our sinfulness, and yet the gospel is at stake because they're out there saying, I'm a Christian, and they're not living like it. The gospel is at stake. Here's the question I just want to leave us with tonight. What kind of seed are we sowing? What kind of seed are we sowing? Are we sowing seeds to the flesh, which only produce corruption for us? Or are we sowing seeds of the Spirit? Either way, one thing is true. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Well, hopefully next time we'll finish up this letter. Just a few short verses left for us. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you again for your word, the exhortation to our hearts, the challenge it is for us to not get caught up in self-deception and thinking to ourselves that we somehow will sow something different than what we reap, or I mean that what we sow, we'll reap something different than what we sow. The word is true, we cannot escape it, it will come. Father, protect us, hem us, hedge us in, guard us, may we be ever mindful of what your word says, protect the foolishness that we find ourselves going at times. Lord, forgive us for mocking you, causing your name to be thought of in less value, less honor than it ought. Help us to be more loving, more caring for one another than we have been in the past. Thank you for the love that others have shown to each one of us in our own lives, those who came to us when we needed it, even though sometimes we don't like to hear it. Thank you for that. Lord, may we never forget that you are the one who makes one righteous and we can live for you. May we think of these things as we go out this day. May they empower us to walk by the Spirit. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.